I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello. <laughs> Part two. Part duh. Duh. Of Eleanor. Deuxième part. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Much better grammar than I would have attempted. <laughs> Hi, guys. We're back. We're back. With historically badass broads. And better than ever. Sure. Uh, <laughs> we're going to attempt to jump right into part two of Eleanor. Let's do it. My, my favorite lady. The best lady. All right, so let's just talk about where we ended. Mm-hmm. We ended with... Eleanor successfully suing for an annulment from her first husband, Louis VII of France. And uh, she uh, gives up custody of her two daughters, but retains Aquitaine. And really, that's what mattered to yeah, her. Yeah, you have to pick, definitely. You gotta pick your children or your your territory. Obviously territory. Territory. So, that's what a mother's instinct will always tell you. I mean, territory. it was her first child. <laughs> <laughs> and will remain her favorite. I, I think we can assume... Um, so Eleanor is first and foremost needs to get back to Poitiers. Mm. Now, remember how I talked about kidnapping as like a valid source of marriage? Sure do. Burned sure. in my brain. So this is, yeah, it'll never leave you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> that and like the age of consent was 12. Um, so hey, oh, Catholic church. Um, always a good one. So Eleanor's just like, I gotta get back to Poitiers because the moment everyone in France slash the world knows she's single, she's open for the taking. Mm. She barely gets back to Poitiers. She avoids two potential kidnappings, one of whom is Geoffrey Plantagenet, Geoffrey the Duke of Anjou, um, uh, Geoffrey of Normandy, married to Matilda, Empress, whom we love. Um, so yeah, so what their second son, William, I believe his name was, um, is also one of the attempted, uh, one of the men who attempts to kidnap her, which is ironic considering what happens next. Um, once she gets back to Poitiers, Eleanor sends envoys to Henry of Anjou, mm. William's older brother, Geoffrey's son. He is, I believe, what is it? He's 11 years younger than her. So he's 19, she's 30. And she's like, we're going to get married. Bit of a cougar situation, eh? I mean, you could call it that. But I think you could also say that they met once in court and she was like, fuck. And then... So this entire family is going after her and she wants the only one that didn't try to kidnap her. Well, her... The Jeffrey didn't try and kidnap her, but that's probably because they already slept together. Shh, it's mine. Mm. So this is the thing. I'm going to just preface by saying, listen... As we learn from the... Listen, I defend her too much. I am aware. I don't care. Um, <laughs> Eleanor... As long as we clarify that, I feel like it's fine. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> My entire life has been a defense of her. Every action. So, um, while she was married to Louis, the priest, under advisement of worse priests, Bernard of Clairvaux, may he rest in 
eternal disquiet mm. and agony. Um, I hate him. Anyway, so um, I don't know if you guys know that, but I hate him. I hate Bernardo Cuervo. I don't care that the, the Cistercian Abbeys are nice or good or like whatever. I don't care that he became a saint. I'm half Jewish and the other half's Armenian Orthodox. We don't care. No one's fighting you. I'm just this. saying. <laughs> I love this. If we have a Catholic audience. Speak your truth. <laughs> I need them to know that I know he's a saint and I could care less. Anyway. So, um... <laughs> So Eleanor probably slept with Geoffrey. So Geoffrey was extremely handsome. He was married to a former empress, as we remember, Matilda, um, the empress Matilda, as she referred to herself for her mm. entire life. Love her. Um, so he was married to her. They had a very hot-headed relationship. He himself was quite hot-headed, as we know Eleanor was. And they're beautiful people. What happens when beautiful people are put together in a room? Sexual tension. She's not being satisfied. She's like, well, this is what's going to happen. We know this because when Henry was first given the uh, hint that maybe Eleanor wanted to marry him, uh, Jeffrey said, never. You can never go with that woman. Never. You're not allowed. It will be something close to incestuous. And Henry's like, yeah, but she's hot. You know, another strong argument, <laughs> the strongest, and also former queen. And he himself is fighting for the right to inherit the throne of England because, as we know, her, his mother was supposed to be the first queen regnant of England, Matilda. And um, so, this is something he this is his birthright. He was literally raised with this as the intention of his life and his mother now that she's getting older is more and more fighting for his right to inherit and less for hers Mm. so um eight weeks after the annulment of her first marriage eleanor marries henry they are even more closely related than she was with louis and if if our audience were to remember the official grounds of their annulment was consanguinity meaning they're too closely related they were related within the fourth degree she and Henry were third cousins, so within the third degree. So the cause of her annulment was immediately just like, clearly, you know, she didn't give a fuck. They were married, and I quote, without the pomp and ceremony that befitted their rank on the 18th of May in 1152. Were they trying to be sneaky about it? Yeah, they had to be a bit sneaky about it, and they did not seek permit. Thank you for asking that question. You yeah. reminded me. They didn't... You're so satisfied. <laughs> I love it. They, um, they didn't My seek... My first good question of the season. You have many. Um, they didn't Ooh. seek um, permission from Louis, who, of course, now is Eleanor's overlord, her feudal right. superior, right. as he is also Henry's. And if two people of that rank are to marry, even if they were to marry people of a lesser rank... They had to seek permission from the person above them. And they both of equal and better ranks combined, better ranks individually than the king and then combined like more than anyone, um, don't seek permission. That's cause for war. Mm. The king could do that. But he also knows he has a shit army and a tiny territory. And together, Henry and Eleanor create something that will one day form the Angevin Empire, which is almost all of modern day France. And eventually England. Um, and so he's like, well, I can't do anything about it, but I'm displeased. <laughs> Shoot. And for once in his life, Louis becomes a eunuch. Uh, in Seoul. Anyway, I hate him. It's fine. He just squandered a lot of opportunities. And I think I don't like when people waste potential. 
and he is a prime example of wasted potential in his first marriage. So that couldn't, if he heard that, it would have cut deep. I don't know if it would have because like language barrier, but yeah, but if there wasn't a language barrier and I wasn't a woman, those were harsh words. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. I'm pleased with that. Your words are knives. So. (laughs) And you're welcome. Thanks. Honestly, feeling a little hurt, but no, I'm good. good. So, um, so Henry was actually once a potential mate for Eleanor's, um, daughter, Marie. Mm-hmm. Her eldest daughter, but that didn't go through because they were third cousins. So Henry was to mar- let's break it down. Jeffrey and Eleanor probably had an affair. It's not been confirmed, but most of Jeffrey going stay clear, don't go, don't do it, don't do it. Like she's known your father basically, and um, other things. I think we we can pretty much guess that. Um, yeah, so Jeffrey and Eleanor probably had an affair. Henry was supposed to marry her daughter, but they couldn't officially get married because they were too closely related. In the face of all of that and age difference and the fact that their rank meant that they should have sought permission, uh, they didn't give a flying fuck and instead chose to get married. And so they did. Um, So, yeah, um, it's an interesting relationship. The two of them are, like, known as extreme. Like, he is very, very handsome. He has auburn red hair which becomes a family trait of the uh, royalty in England for mm. a few hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, together, they create a lot of redheaded people um, or auburn-headed individuals who then give birth to redheaded people. Um, and they're famous for having, you know, big, big explosive fights and dramatic things, but they also were like, so in lust and in love with each other it was this very tempestuous like passionate very passionate relationship love that for them obsessed for her especially because Mm. i feel like she's like thank god finally which i mean it's the complete opposite of what she just had literally the opposite and i think that's why she was like i'm going headfirst into it so Mm. um worth sacrificing all the possible wars yeah (laughs) pretty much yeah um so this relationship is is immediately successful Mm -hmm. Eleanor in the face of Louis's I like anger and just sheer frustration immediately gives birth to birth to sons Mm -hmm. um over the next I'm gonna talk about the next 13 years but over the next 13 years Eleanor gives birth to five sons and three daughters um they have probably nine kids so in total Eleanor ends up having 11 children the one of the sons died in infancy though Uh, not in infancy but like when he was three and that pretty much counts Mm. Henry successfully wins the right to inherit England and so on um, October 25th whoa that just happened of um, I mean no it didn't I don't know when we're releasing this (laughs) oh well (laughs) cat's out of the bag it's fine um in 1154 he becomes the king of england she was crowned on december 19th of 1154 which is actually great so she herself was crowned and anointed um Mm. actually no she couldn't be anointed because she was already anointed as a queen of france so she's already taken care of god's like you're good Mm. i got you um my note is very tumultuous relationship sure um aquitaine the people of aquitaine only really recognized her authority um, which is funny. So she does pretty much continue to rule Aquitaine as the kind of sole duchess. 
Um, and so she's occupied at this, you know, point with something that's very medieval, very feminine. Um, she has over the next 13 years, nine kids. And that's a lot. That's a lot of kids. So, and she has five sons, which literally could not have driven Louis more insane because Mm. of course that was the major downfall of their own marriage. Louis himself has to marry three in total, three women before, um, Adela of Champagne gives birth to his son who becomes a real thorn in the side of Henry and Eleanor. But anyway, Philip Augustus, what a man. Um, Mm. so little shit. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, Eleanor and um, Henry, their relationship become, it continues along its very kind of passionate and with all the things that come with it path. Um, and nothing really crazy happens. Um, they're ruling. They together hold, like I said, almost all of modern day France and also now all of England Mm. and the disputing no Scotland because there's the kingdom of Scotland at this time. But, um, she's, you know, they're, they're still, um, in charge of an immense amount of land. And if I can remind you again, Eleanor's 30 (laughs) when they get married. So she's by the time she's what, like 43, she has 11 kids, not one of whom has died. She herself has not died in childbirth. That's quite old. It's so old. That's the average life expectancy in the Middle Ages was 35 for a man. Wow. Let alone for a woman. Right. Because they're always dying. Everyone's dying in childbirth when, you know, and then the infants themselves, it's over, it's a 60% infant mortality. That's insane. Yeah. So that's the thing is like within, in the face of all of that, they're ruling a great deal of Western Europe Mm. and a power hold of Western Europe. You know, he is the most important that that's Anjou and Normandy is one of the most important duchies in France. Aquitaine is the other one. And mm. together they, they hold that together. Right. And they are both been invested with, you know, Duke and Duchess of so-and-so count and countess of blah. So they are both in charge of it. Um, and it's, it's just truly like a remarkable stronghold of power. Um, and they're ruling and Henry, I'm not going to go into it because this ain't about him, but Henry, of course, is one of the most important kings of England. He's Henry II. He pretty much invents the modern judicial system that we in our country follow, you know, Mm. uh, traditions of. And and he basically makes the modern tax system. And he is, in and of himself, a truly remarkable ruler. Um, Whatever his personal faults or virtues may have been, Mm -hmm. as a king, he was unbelievable. And, and... And to centralize power that way, you know, it it does kind of fall apart the moment he's not there. So it's true mark of him as a ruler because what happened before him and what happens after him are so chaotic that in his time of reign, it's so clear who is creating that Mm. calm and creating that um, base of power. Um, And so, like I said, throughout this time... um, Things aren't going too well. I mean, by the end of the 1150s into the 1160s, Eleanor and Henry, like Henry has a lot of affairs with many women, which Eleanor, frankly, is like, whatever. And she ends up raising one of the sons of one of the illeg- Henry's illegitimate sons with her own children. She's known to be quite fond of this boy. This is not an uncommon thing. Like, we have to remember this is not our world. This is a completely different world. Right. In which case, you know, in France, there were legal rights to women who were mistresses. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like they there there's a legitimacy to them. And then in England, it's not as free but it's still like if the king didn't have a mistress it was like what 
It was weird. Right. So for Henry to have sex with a lot of other women and to give birth and to have them then give birth to other children wasn't uncommon. Eleanor's acceptance of them into her own household itself was also not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, by by all accounts, her fondness for the kid was a little bit like, oh, that's that's nice. Okay, you know. <laughs> But I don't think, I mean, everyone goes so to sweet. like Game of Thrones and how Jon Snow was treated or whatever. Like most of the time the women were very, were more accepting of it because their husbands sleeping with other women was more common. De rigueur. So right. it's, yeah. So he though, however, Henry in 1166 has, starts and begins this affair with Rosamund de Clifford. And by, by 1166, it becomes extremely well known. And this is the first one to really incite jealousy in Eleanor. And I think it's because Henry, like, not only wanted to sleep with her, he just, like, loved this woman. Mm. And she was really young. Mm. Um, she's the new shiny thing. The, she's the... Bra- you are absolutely correct. She's mm-hmm. the new shiny thing. Yeah. Rosamund de Clifford becomes this specter that haunts Eleanor. Um, you know, I think she... Eleanor, I don't think, would have ever done anything to hurt her, but when Rosamond dies unexpectedly pretty young, Henry is beyond heartbroken and ends up, like, lamenting her, and she's in this abbey, and there's, and then, you know, legends come about that Eleanor poisoned her and sought to kill her and and herself and, and murdered her, and it's, there's a lot that, you know, people are going on and on about. Most likely what really happened is they had a formal separation, Eleanor moves to Argentin, um, gathers all of her possessions, and it seems like they had a fairly formal separation in 1167. Rosamond dies, um, and it there's this funny, not funny, her tombstone has this inscription on it that most monks were like, never has there been so unpure a rose or whatever, because she, of course, is this harlot. I don't, I don't know too much about Rosamond. You can imagine that she was probably not in a position to fight Henry's advances um there were a lot of women who sought to be a mistress because of the status it gave them so I never want to take that position of power away from a woman by saying you know it's all rape or whatever but I from what I've gathered of Rosamond she's a pretty innocuous person and either she fell in love with Henry and really loved him and wanted to be with him or he took advantage of her or she took advantage of him Mm -hmm. I honestly can't tell so it's not my place to judge it um, but Either way, like maybe not on yeah. the tombstone. On know? the tombstone, it's... maybe a rumor that passes around, but maybe not immortalized forever on her tombstone. Well, you know? and one of Eleanor's lasting legacy. Yeah, I mean, maybe that. Maybe, but like one of Eleanor's lasting legacies. You know, there's this tale of her poisoning and killing her. So people, I think it's that thing where we see a powerful woman, or not we. They see, you know, people see a powerful woman and will do what they can to take her down. And mm-hmm. I think it's just really fascinating to me because. God, it's so unnecessary. Um, but that's a talk for another time. So, um, yeah, no, but I mean, but I think they see her and they see the potential that she has for power. And of course, she herself wields a lot of power. And and even though she and Henry aren't together romantically by this point, um, although are they still having children? No, they've stopped having children by this point. Um, but you know, even though you know she is still a trusted source of political guidance, you know, she's. Right. He, whatever Henry does, absolutely respects her intelligence, I think. Which is, honestly, all a medieval woman could ask for. And I'm not saying she should have been like, it's okay that you're fucking other women. Like, of course it's not. But I think, and I think Eleanor herself has a lot of pride and and that was hurt by it because this relationship was so emotional. But I think 
for this to become part of her legacy for so long drives me insane because there were so many other things to talk about. But clearly, like, she is this source of power and she's a source of political anything. And I think they're like, well, she's a jealous woman. She killed her. So I think it's it's an interesting tale. But this honestly, that creates a massive rift in their relationship. Um, within, from 1168 to 1173... Eleanor establishes a court in Poitiers, which is the most critical in terms of her authority. This is where she establishes her uh, true reputation, I think, as a ruler. And this is where Andreas Capuanus' The Art of Courtly Love takes place. This is the courtoisie. This is courtly love. They're judges. Eleanor's sitting on a court with her daughter, Marie, that, of course, I don't think she ever saw again, the one from her first marriage. Mm. Um and they are judging with other ladies and they'll listen to quarrels of lovers and act as a jury to questions of the court. Um, and then they'll question the court, uh, or no, they'll act as a jury to questions of the court that revolved around acts of romantic love. So they're, they're adjudicating, you know, romantic tales. And this Andreas Capelanis writing the art of courtly love is seen as a, as a watershed moment in romantic literature and the establishment of romantic love. So again, Eleanor still is in the south of France. She is in her home. She is, she is, I think, actively putting forth a reputation, at least, that would then lead to Capulanus writing this. I don't think she actually had a court of love. Um, however much I want it to have been a thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think she is so... It's so vital for her to encourage and continue that part of her family relationship and that family culture that the troubadours are still active. They're still writing poetry about her and singing it in court. And, and she's she's there um, actively putting out this reputation, which would, again, I think, lead to Capilanus being inspired to write such a fantastic tale, which honestly, read it. It's really fun. Mm. Um, I really, enjoy, I should have quoted passages of it, but I just really love what he wrote. And it's, it's um, just really lovely. So, in 1170, though, back in England, Thomas Beckett, St. Thomas of Beckett, really fucks some shit up. So, Henry and Beckett were, like, BFFs, right? Mm-hmm. And it's real cute when I think men have best friends. I think it's really sweet. Like a bromance. Yeah. That's what it was. Beckett, of course, was an archbishop. He becomes, like, he ends up being um, massively promoted, becomes Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, my nose is really itchy. Okay. Um... <laughs> And <laughs> my nose is really itchy right now. I don't really know. I'm sorry. It's fall. Um, is that a fall thing? I don't know if it's a fall thing, but everyone keeps saying, oh, yeah, it's fall. And I'm like, yeah, totally, it's fall. Last time I was with you when your nose was itchy was when we recorded this podcast. With cats. With cats. Yeah. There are no cats here. There are no cats here. Thank God. <laughs> Get out of here. I'm sorry. I wish there were 20 cats here. No. I would be on not the for floor. You. Not for my you. eyes would be yeah, swollen. Yeah, not for you. Not for you. Could we have a bunch of hypoallergenic dogs? Hmm. And then we could play with them? Yeah, I'd do that. Okay, that's good. Let's so do that. next time we record this podcast, we'll just fill the room with hypoallergenic puppies. And that's the plan. Oh my god. I... It's my, like those... Do you know those my videos brain, online? I just overloaded on so much happiness that my brain went blank. <laughs> I want you to know that. Just a bright yellow blankness. <laughs> just like a... Like a... Beep. And then it, I came back. Yeah, that's called... A near-death experience. Because I was so happy that I was imagining a room full of puppies. <laughs> I want a dog. I'm fine. No, again, 
there's these videos online where they make celebrities answer questions. Yes, I know. The BuzzFeed ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're the best. That's like, we'll be trying to talk about badass broads in history and they'll just, just be not like focusing little puppy noises <laughs> and then like us like laughing and getting distracted like they're gonna that scream. actually sounds like a really bad podcast that's because like you, you don't see it yeah that's to, the whole the fun whole thing of is those the, videos. how adorable the puppies are and if they're not here wow wouldn't that be torture <laughs> just not to like to <laughs> if we not were like know. wow these dogs are so, so cute, cute and you couldn't see them <gasps> what if we just Play a YouTube video of puppy noises and pretend like it's happening, like the psychopaths that we are. I was going to say, that was my plan, so you just exposed it. Now we can't do it. (laughs) Well, we were going to do it, but now we can't. Now you know we can't. (laughs) That chapter's over. Anyway, I really want dogs now. Like more. We'll go to like a puppy cafe or something. Okay. It always makes me sad because then I have to leave them and I've like named them and never mind. I messed given up. them a whole life. I've messed up. Like Brian, <laughs> Brian was this beautiful. We should get back to Eleanor, but anyway, let me tell you about Brian. Brian was this gorgeous husky puppy. I really love. And he had blue eyes. And uh. my best friend Molly and I, we were still in college, so I was visiting New York as I did like as frequently as I could because I went to school in Baltimore. Right. And um, you know, and um, we went to the place in um, the West Village. Do you know the the place near, um, uh, wow. City Pups. Yeah, thank you. How did I know that? It's really close to we can um, move Stonewall. Past it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Really close. You can walk past it. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, thank you. This is important. And um, Brian and I, like, formed a bond. And um, all wow. I'm going to say is I, uh, I still miss that dog. Oh and it's God. been... Four or five years. Wow. Husky puppies really can leave a mark on you, I will he say. He left an indelible mark upon my yeah. soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet if we saw each other again, it would be like a beautiful... Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's at the level of like when a person comes home from active duty and sees their dog, but I'm no, not going to say it's not that level. I, I don't think you should. <laughs> <laughs> Is that offensive? I don't know. Okay. I guess we can... Ask the internet to let us know. I don't want to. I don't want to know. I don't hate <laughs> Again, comments. my YouTube videos are open for comments. <laughs> Please. <laughs> oh, my God. Also, just watch them. They're great. Anyway. Thank you. Back to Eleanor. So, Thomas Beckett's fucking shit up. We're, again, let's, let me go back. We're setting the stage. Yes. It's 1170. We're in England. Eleanor's she's quite old now. Uh, she's, well, she's 40. I, I mean, that's 38. Crazy. She's 38. That's crazy to me. Hold on. Yes. 70 minus 22. Oh, don't ask me that. Is she 48? 48, yeah. Oh. That was a worrisome moment. That was tough. I okay, will so say. she's 48. She is. Oof. Okay. Um, Math. That physically hurt okay, me. Okay, but 48 is like... No, she's ancient. Super, super, super no, old. No, she's so fucking old. She's like a, what, a great-great-grandmother at this point? I mean... Pretty much. Not, like, based on children, yeah. but, like, based on age. No, based on children, but, yeah. <laughs> have have her children have... Let, have they had worry. children yet? I wrote oh, down... there's more. Oh, there's a list. We're gonna go through... We can go through it. Let's go through it. Okay. We brought it up. It's relevant. You did. Okay, so I wrote down... Yes. So, let's let's go back to the first marriage. Marie, um, she was born in 1145 she ends up dying in 1198 so solid genes she's 40 i mean 43 it's like a family did they like drink an elixir or something maybe you know what it's I possible they could have um we can't rule it out you know eleanor could have been a little witchy can't she wouldn't have been 
It's not she very southern. It's not very southern French of her. That's pretty English. You never know though. There I feel many like there are some like Provencal like spiritual women, like hippie witches. That's what I mean. Like if she she would have yeah. seemed like a spiritual woman. I don't think she would have seemed like the witch. I'll take it. I think there are many different ways. This to be is a witch. so unsupported by any fact, and I can't. I'm not a person of fact. I am. So, this is where uh, our battling personalities come into play in this podcast. Perfect. Great. Um, (laughs) She was a witch. No. No. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) You take it back. (laughs) Okay. Marie. Marie, the one who almost married her stepfather, question mark. Right, right, right. Um, Sure. Marries Henry I, who's the Count of Champagne. Um, Count of Champagne, I think he also tried to kidnap Eleanor, question mark. He was the other dude who tried to kidnap her. But they're like, we'll, we'll take the daughter. Because they could marry you and get your so. lands. How did she escape the other kidnapping? She was a badass motherfucker and traveled by boat. Oh, excellent. Like barges. I will say seasickness is real. Oh my God. I'm, I get so ill. And I, I don't know. Kidnapping, seasickness, the scale is really unbalanced here. And I don't know which one I would go for. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> like 20 minutes of seasickness or versus just like, like a lifetime of lifetime unhappiness. Of kidnapped marriage. Ooh, I can't tell. I don't know. It's, honestly. I'll have to sleep on it. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> um, they end up having four kids and their daughter Marie becomes the Latin Empress. So she becomes like a Holy Roman Empress, which is, um, which is cool. Alix, who's the second daughter, is born in 1150. Remember, she was born after the Pope is like, y'all better fuck again. Um, right, right, right. She married Theobald V, the Count of Blois. Remember him? Remember the Counts of Blois? I do actually. Well, their stuff was re was taken over again and regifted to other lords. So it's the same count, but it or same territory, but um, not Stephen's family because then they would have become the kings of England. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. They end up having seven kids. Wow. Jeez. Eleanor's first child with Henry William, who would have been. Um, why did I put that? Whatever. He dies in infancy when he was three, so he's born 1153. He was born mm. the year after his parents' marriage, um, mm. within the year, the first year of their marriage. Right. He dies in 1156. Then there was Henry the Younger. He was born 1155. Um, he died in 1183. He marries Margaret of France, who is the daughter of Louis VII and his second wife. Not weird at all. Um yay and then cousins um then we have matilda who becomes the duchess of saxony and bavaria she's born 1156 she dies in 1189 she marries henry the lion and had five kids including otto the fourth who becomes the holy roman emperor then there's richard the first also known as richard the Lionhearted. he's a very famous king he was born 1157 he died in 1199 he married berengaria of navarre no children i like that name solid she's a cool lady um, there's not much that we know about her, but mm. I'm gonna just go ahead and assume she was a cool lady because of her name. You can't have that name. And oh, not you be said cool. that, and <laughs> you said that like as if you had information to back up that she was really. Yeah, cool. and then I and, and I then was, I quickly realized I. Didn't. I was ready to believe you. <laughs> I quickly realized. Oh, I, I love didn't. that. But Navarre. So no, I, I agree say, with you. I agree with you. Navarre is a really cool territory. We will one day in this podcast talk about other badass ladies of Navarre. Yeah, absolutely. Not Berengaria, probably. Maybe another one, but. Anyway, I'm sure um, we'll find more fun names so to, to talk listen, about. Listen, the moment I get to talk about my Anglo-Saxon people, we're going to have an entire episode of me just reading my favorite Anglo-Saxon names. Oh, I sure hope so. It's going to be great. I really deeply hope so. It's, it's truly going to be nothing you want and everything I want. 
Which is kind of our podcast? No. The thing is, is we're we're in charge of what happens. You are correct. And Lauren. that's pretty exciting. We could really just spend three hours reading names and there no are one some can do doozies. anything about it. <laughs> do you know what? I think it'd be entertaining. There's some great ones. Um, it's so, like at graduation ceremonies when everyone's like struggling to pronounce my all, name. all the kids' names. Always my name. Yours? Yes. Explain. It's spelled M-A-U-R-A. Sure. And people lose their minds over it. What do they say? Like Mauda? Oh, wow. Okay. Mira, Moira, Mara, which is what most people call me. And I just respond because I don't care anymore. Um, I've also gotten, uh, did I say Mira? I got Mira a few times. M- Moira, which I just don't get. Those make no sense. But it's it's like Laura, but with an M. Why is that hard? I will say I have other Moras in my life, which is why mm. this is a confusing conversation for me. Sure. I thought that was just the accepted pronunciation. You of would it. think so. Yeah. No. Nope. Well, okay. And then Cantor is so, somehow hard for people to. I grew up two doors mm. down from the Cantners, spelled the exact same way but with an extra N. And it really fucked with people. Well, that makes sense. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, but it's my eighth grade graduation and you have to say my name right. <laughs> I saw you transported in that moment back yeah. to eighth grade. I saw Because my teacher was like, I'm going to make a point. She was this horrible English teacher I have. She's like, I'm going to make it's a point fun. of saying. But she liked me because I read. Um, so she's like, I'm going to make a point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say your name right. It's going to be great. I was like, great. And she was like practicing it. And then she fucks it up on the day. I remember sitting there just being like, wait, disappointment. <laughs> and then afterwards, she like came up to talk to you. So Absolutely excited. not. Never talk to me again. And you were like, you can actually go jump off a cliff because you're, <laughs> you're dead to me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. So Richard, Mary's Berengaria, Jeffrey Third, the Duke of Brittany. I just spat a lot. I'm so sorry. He uh, was born in 1158. He dies in 1186. He marries Constance of Brittany and has three kids. Hmm. Any Shakespeare fans out there? Me? In um, King John. Who are you asking? You're right. Like I, I was expecting I a response. Uh, in King John, Constance has that... There's a woman named Constance who talks about her son, Arthur. Sure. Has an unbelievably emotional speech about mm. her son, Arthur, and how she's not crazy because the world's like, she's crazy. And she's like, no, you killed my son. Mm. Well, that's Jeffrey's wife, Ooh, Constance, cool. and his son, Arthur. Mm-hmm. Then there's Eleanor. She's born 1162, dies in 1214. She marries Alfonso VIII of Castile. They had 12 kids. So Eleanor of Castile is one of the most unbelievably cool ladies in history. We will talk about her. Mm. She is Eleanor's daughter. And her daughter, Blanche of Castile, becomes one of the most famous queen regents of all of France. So this is, yeah. We're not even done. Then there's Joan. (laughs) She's born 1165. She dies in 1199. She's married to William II of Sicily. And then also married Count Raymond the Sixth of Toulouse. And her second marriage, they had four kids. John, stupid King John, John Lackland, John the fucking idiot, as I like to call him, was born in 1166. He dies in 1216. He married Isabella the Countess of Gloucester. Then he also married Isabella the Countess of Angoulême. She was probably nine years old. Yay! And they had nine kids, seven kids. He had seven kids total. Hang on. Yep. Okay. That's it. <laughs> yep. You heard me. Yeah, I guess there isn't much more to say about really that. Really nothing else to say. Great. Um, so, 
So those are her kids. She did pretty well for herself, I'd say. And Eleanor was instrumental in all of their marriages. That's insane. So, and How in she their time in the day, we're not even there yet. And then also in in their children's marriages too. Uh, oh, what's that show? The Million Millionaire Matchmaker or something? Sure. That's it. Okay. That's the whole tweet. That's Eleanor. <laughs> Sure, sure. I mean, it is her children, so there is an emotional yeah. investment. But that so, sounds like that show where she's just, like, pairing people up left and right. Pretty <laughs> much, and just does it, and ends up being very, very good at it. So she's the coolest, as That's we good. know, as we know. We already knew this, everyone. Oh, we knew this. Um <laughs> So let's get back to Thomas Beckett, even though I think he's really annoying and I don't like to talk about him that much. Mm-hmm. But uh, pretty much he and Henry have a fight over the jurisdiction of secular courts of the jurisdiction of secular courts over the clergy. So who has the power to adjudicate against clergy members, the secular court or the religious court? Thomas is like, the God does. And then Henry's like, but I want it. And then they have this massive fight over it. That's a massive simplification of this crisis, which overtakes England. Beckett gets exiled like 12 times. He comes mm. back, blah, 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 blah. Eleanor's just like, stop being a stupid bitch. Um, but I'm in France. So like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at one point, Henry ends up in 11. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On 70, Henry goes, apparently he says, will no one rid me of this meddlesome slash quote unquote, maybe he also said troublesome priest. And uh, this was overheard by four different knights who uh, were like, we, we can. And he's like, I see. And then they ran and um, murdered him in Canterbury Cathedral, where he was martyred. And he it becomes one of the most important pilgrimage sites in all of England, if not... It's actually the most important pilgrimage site in all of England, and one of the most important Catholic pilgrimage sites in the world, is to go see Thomas Beckett's tomb in Canterbury Cathedral. I've been. It's stupid. Um, so... <laughs> I mean, if my disdain are, for Catholics. I know, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so aggressive. I, if people are hoping to see, you know, the scene of the four hitmen, <laughs> you can go. You see it so at, he at was apparently. Tombstone. It's Christmas Day, eleven seventy. Oh my god! Merry four Christmas. nights. They get right. Um, four nights are being uh, are rushing over because their king is like, "Will no one do this?" Wink, wink. Um, I wonder if it was snowing. Do you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it was because it's England. Do you think it was hot chocolate? 
No, chocolate wasn't introduced to England by this point. Way too early for chocolate. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> the Middle Ages. I don't know what to tell you. But you know what? They had a lot of alcohol. So much spiced wine. Yeah. So much mead. Any kind of ale. It's wa- it replaces water, right? No. There's this weird misconception that people in the Middle Ages didn't drink water. You did. If you had a clean, I'm getting really annoyed with this. If you had a clean it's source of water, it's not a misconception. I feel like there were there were places where you had you didn't have a clean source of water. And well, this then is you what I'm going to say. So if you had a clean source of water, then you were good. You drank water. If you didn't, you drank ale. Right. But which it was is, that's it way more fun to. Talk but it also about. wasn't very alcoholic. Mmm. <laughs> in the way that we're like, ooh, ale. It's not like an IPA. Sure. It's like. 0.5%. I don't know alcohol that well, so no, I don't know. <laughs> Neither of us really drink, so. I know. <laughs> Shoot. Aww. Talk about missed opportunities. I'm kidding. <laughs> Should we both become alcoholics? Drunks just to continue this conversation? Maybe. I'll meet might, you at the pub. Might make this a really fascinating podcast. We'll do like Drunk History, the podcast, but TM. Do you know a you lot know, of like... people told me I should do Drunk History? Yeah. And I went, yeah, because I can just volunteer for it, but thanks. Right. Well, there's also, like, you know, you can do, like, drunk musicals now, drunk Shakespeare. Yeah, there's all of them. There's a lot of stuff. I feel like it's bad for your health, but that's... You know what? I couldn't agree more. But, you know... (laughs) Who are we to say? We're we're just two little homebodies. If my liver doesn't look like camouflage, you know... I knew we were doing something wrong. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So, what was it? What was it? What were we saying? Oh, so he kills Thomas Beckett. The four... Just to set the scene, four priests... He's like, I'm going to be killed. I hear that Henry sent priests and everyone in the church is like, no, Thomas, no. And then Thomas like kneels at an altar and he's like, may God bless and keep me. And then he says some prayers apparently. And then mm. the knights come in and like hack off the top of his head. And then he dies. Yikes. Yay. Yikes. Martyrdom. Love anyway, to see that's it. boring. Yeah. But that really fucked with Henry's authority. So, um... <laughs> I, we just have different definitions of the word boring, but that's okay. I just think Thomas Beckett's really annoying. I, do you know what it is? It's a lot of men who get a lot of power because they've chosen. I think he he could have, like, run away and not been martyred. Like, he could have... I, I don't know. There's something almost sycophantic about him that I don't like. And that, like, in if you read more about him and you're not religiously inclined, so you don't aren't, like, tainted by that, like, mm-hmm. I think... He just kind of annoys me. There's a lot of self-satisfaction in Catholicism that I, like, cannot stand. So that's that's why I think I'm like, well, he died fine. Mm -hmm. And so many people have talked about him for so long. I don't need to. Um, No. This is about Eleanor. That's what I'm saying. But it's important to know because that messed with Henry. And also Henry, for the rest of his life, suddenly becomes like, am I repentant? Mm. Shit. Because Thomas Beckett is, like, fast-tracked to become a saint. It's, like, an immediate reaction. Like, ooh, the king did this. The king is bad. And it, it becomes this really, like, scandal. Mm. Um, and then, so that that becomes hard. Oh, by the way, I, oh, I forgot to mention. Okay, so in The Art of Courtly Love, when Eleanor... This is what happens when I don't read my notes. Anyway, um, so uh, this is why I take them. Uh, I don't need them, but I do, because this is why. Um... So Eleanor and the ladies are adjudicating on matters of love, and then uh, their major conclusion is that um, they, the women decided that true love was not likely to exist in marriage. <laughs> oh my god! And um, if there was ever an account, like a, a you know, a, certain certain phrases really do age well. Yeah, if there was ever like um, uh, something that would 
put in favor that the art of courtly love actually did exist, that statement is one of them because Eleanor probably would have said something like that. Oh, I love that statement. It's great. Wasn't likely to exist in marriage. <laughs> I love that it's not a definite statement. I love that it's like... No, but they're being polite about it. They're like, I just, I don't think it... I feel like it didn't happen. I feel like it's not possible. I, I love that. I yeah. love the wording. I know. It's not likely. It's unlikely to exist in marriage. Um, <laughs> it's so good. It's so, like, darkly humored. Yeah. That I love it. That only woman, women could have said it. That's truly what it and is. And it's why we're laughing. I know. You know, we're like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> True. Right. Maybe. You don't know. Unlikely. Unlikely. <laughs> But also likely. <laughs> but you never know. You never know. Secret, you know, hopeful, but expectations are low, but hopes are high. And the solution is just don't ever get married. There it is. And then you're fine. It's a very modern opinion. I do what I can. Yeah. It's sexist, people. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> Keep the convo trendy. Always. Um, <laughs> this isn't trendy. This is me from a young age going, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> my aunt once said that if I ever got married, my parents would find out like three years later. My mom's like, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you'd like go to city hall and be like i guess we did it i guess it's fine it'd be for tax reasons Ooh, sure taxes are a bitch anyway um yeah so then in 11 se- so henry is like oh no i've done bad and then like so in 1173 to add to his troubles the younger henry may i remind you he was born 1155 mm-hmm. so he is 18 did i do that I forget what year it is right now. In the 1150, 1170, 73 minus 55. No calculator time. Yeah, I'm literally going to calculate this because it's important. 73 minus 55. <gasps> I was right. It's 18. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, you just reminded me of, like, the, the pageant winners. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like crying over it. You're like, I won, I won, I won. <laughs> Composed. That was um, a beautiful moment. Thank you. So he's 18, Henry the Younger, as he's known. And he wanted to, <laughs> there was a tradition in the Middle Ages, you know, this is feudalism, blah, blah, blah. You can read about it. Um, but younger sons would be given part, parts and maybe tiny parcels of their father's territory to basically learn how to rule. Mm-hmm. I think it's an exceptionally great way to do it. It's basically an apprenticeship for rulers um, because how can you expect someone just to inherit it and know everything without practical experience? I think it makes a lot of sense. In, in a world of apprenticeships and, and guilds and being formed and such, the first universities are being created at this time, all that. Mm. Um, thanks, Henry. Um yeah. Um, anyway, so he wanted, but Henry wasn't going to budge. Henry's like, no, no, it's mine. And then the younger Henry's like, but like, it's not. It's also mine. Like, you need to share. And dad's like, no. And so Henry gets egged into a revolt and he seeks help from his brothers, Jeffrey and Richard, who happen to be living with Eleanor. Mm-hmm. And then Eleanor's like, you know what, guys? I like this. I think. I'm going to get my southern lords together who love me and we're going to support you all my sons because not the terrible way mm-hmm. but um we're going to support all my kids boys and we're going to fight against your dad because you know what you're right and also I hate him um I think there's a you know clearly there's multiple motivations but so she rallies southern lords into her favor and raises them 
and they leave Poitiers at the end of May, and then uh, she's captured at Rouen pretty soon after. And for the entire next year, her whereabouts are unknown. Mm. So Henry very quickly rallies in support of himself, and and a lot of people are like, yeah, no, I get, like, don't give it to the kids. But also just like, you're the king, how could they? And the treasonous act of it. In 1170, the 8th of July of 1174, Henry and Eleanor land in England, and she's taken to Winchester or Sarum Castle. And for the next 16 years, she is imprisoned there. So for the year that she disappeared... She was either being taken with Henry around France, um, probably that while he was putting down the last bits of rebellion. Mm. And Henry immediately forgives his sons and goes, it wasn't your fault, but your mother, and then puts her in a prison in, like, Wales, which, for a woman from the south of France, it's so wet and dark, mm. and she's so miserable, and she's there for 16 years. Jeez. How is she alive? We're not even done. She. This is what I like to call, like, the third <laughs> chapter of her life. We have one more. I'm because I'm like she was already really old. She's about to get older. She, but like I was thinking, maybe that's because she is so powerful. She has access to better healthcare. There's no not healthcare. <laughs> Nobody has healthcare anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, food and shelter sure. and sure. maybe better uh, clothes. Yeah, or. You know, even maybe doctors, if there are any. You know, like, she has access to stuff that might be keeping her alive. But imprisonment for 16 following years, like, how, how, survival, how, question She's mark. a badass motherfucker. I guess There's so. literally no other... I have no idea how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> None of us do. No one does. It's weird. Whoa. So... Oh, wait. I did write about Rosamund. Oh, well, let's go back. Jesus. This was so fragmented. <laughs> wow. Um, I think I just got really excited, so I was just writing everything down. because I, no, I love that. So anyway, so Hel- Eleanor's in prison for 16 years. <laughs> let's go back to Rosamond. Um, Is that what's next in your notes? Yep. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> she was rumored to have poisoned Rosamond or to have placed her in a bathtub and had an old lady cut off her arms. That's visual. More likely, she ignored it, even though Henry flaunted it in her face. I'm still visualizing the bathtub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can keep going. I'm just going to keep picturing it. So that's probably why Henry was really particularly vindictive about Rosamond in regards to Eleanor. Um, So that's, I think, another reason why that relationship hurt her so much is Henry was, like, shoving it in her face. He he thinks that she killed Rosamond as well? No, other people do. I think he knows her. Okay. Um... In 1183, the younger Henry tried to get some patrimony again, fails miserably again. He catches dysentery, and on June 11th of 1183, um, he realized he was dying and sought to make amends, and he pled for leniency for his mom. Mm. Um, Eleanor had a dream the night before his death and was forever haunted by it. So he dies, um, and this is the first of her children that she really knew, obviously. She had a son, William, her first son, uh, and wait, first wait, child wait, wait, with wait. Henry, who died when he was three. But Henry the Younger, who was her next son, who was the next eldest, um, dies of dysentery after trying to revolt against his dad again. And it fails. And he's like, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And Henry's like, I know. And he's like, please be merciful to mom. Like, mm. please, please. And Henry's like, fuck off. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Henry uh, Eleanor remains in captivity, and she is uh, she has this very famously she has a dream oh. the, of her younger son. Yeah, the night before he dies, and she's like, he's dying. Like I know he's gonna die, and then she ends up getting told by a messenger that he dies. So the dream is her knowing that he's gonna die. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. Those and she has the thing is like yes her son died when he was three but this is like an adult child dying and I'm not saying that one's worse than the other but like you do know that other one more and I think this one was like she had put a lot of hopes and dreams into him and blah 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 and I think it the death of a child any child I'm not yeah I'm not going to compare but like this is really the first one to cut her as an older woman sure um. With, but you know it doesn't really work but she does start I think something appeals to Henry when his son dies and um, she starts having some greater freedoms and mobility in the late of that year so later that year I think he probably ends up seeing that Um, Mm. she is occasionally brought to court for holidays like Christmas Um, there is of course the great play um, The Lion in Winter Mm, which is about Henry and Eleanor in these later courts she is brought from captivity and all of the events take place within um, a Christmas celebration and um, so that's one of those times where Eleanor was supposed to be brought out of captivity and into that but mostly she lived um, like that for a long time Henry dies in July 6th of 1189 um by that point, her son Richard was heir, and um, he immediately sends William Marshall to free her, but her custodians had already freed her. The moment they heard Henry died, they, like, let her go. Really? Yeah, and then Richard is like, Mommy, and she's like, Baby, I'm coming. Oh, wow, so everyone was rallying for her to be freed. Yeah, she's a cool lady, and they're like, why is she... Right. We're good. That leads me to wonder, yet again, this is not based in fact. <laughs> but if people liked her that much maybe they were taking special care of her maybe they were feeding her better maybe they were i'm not saying she was held in a dark dripping cell she was held in a castle that's what i was imagining but she wasn't she was without the comforts that i think she normally she would have been accustomed to and have been accustomed to right i she i know for a fact she wasn't given as many seasonal affective disorder yeah it's like she yeah she wasn't given as many tapestries as she would have liked but tapestries are a practical thing stone is cold tapestries insulate sure when you don't have them wind comes through like it gets yeah, colder absolutely. so like yeah no sh- but like genuinely like darker yeah. colder things can really no mess fuck with, with you. you yeah yeah um so anyway so yeah eleanor um wow. is freed and richard's like by the way i want to go i want to go on crusade mom and she's like you do whatever you need to do um he within the first few weeks of his rule signs a document basically saying she's in charge and she rides out loyal. to Westminster to receive oaths on his behalf. So loyal. So she, this is, Richard is her golden child. Richard is her, mm. the red-headed son of her dreams. Like Mama's he is boy. Richard the Lionhearted. He is the man who Love was it. going to, no matter what, he was going to inherit Aquitaine over mm. the other kids. Like he was raised there. She had him at his, at her hip, like fully teaching him everything. Um... And so she pretty much rules England in his name. Um, he ruled for 10 years, and of those 10 years, he spent a grand total of six months in England. What was he doing? He was traveling. He was going to France. 
Yes. He, you know, he went on crusade. Well, it's nice to be in charge, isn't it? It was. He, as I said, and I quote myself, he liked crusading. It's like paid vacation. It, I mean, kind of, yeah. But this is, of course, you're taking up the Holy this is Cross. a completely different era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's taking up the cross and blah, blah, blah. So it's it's not all, you know, but yes. Sunshine and flowers and whatever. No, he ends up actually being captured by a very annoying little German prince. Um, is literally what I wrote. And um, on his way back, because Henry had, like, offended him before, and he ends up almost getting captured by, like, a bunch of people, and he's like, I'm going to make it back home. I'm almost to France. And then um, he ends up getting captured by that same little German prince, and it's like, are you kidding me? And Eleanor's like, are you fucking kidding me? And she rallies and negotiates the ransom and goes to free him. Ugh. Um, Richard dies in 1199. Um, she outlives him? You're kidding. She outlives all but two of her children. My God. What? We're not done. All right, all right, keep going. So this is a is a is a moment of great mobility for her. Um Jeez. she is still traveling around, she is still actively ruling. When she signs documents, she always signs them Eleanor by the grace of God, Queen of England. Mm. Um, Duchess of Aquitaine, Countess of Poitiers, like so on and so forth. Um so when Richard dies at this point, Jeffrey, her son Jeffrey, had already passed away in 1186. Um, Jeffrey, of course, was married to Constance of Brittany. They had three kids, one of whom was a son named Arthur. Um, John becomes king, and Eleanor travels to secure an alliance with King Philip of France, who is Louis' heir. He's Philip Augustus. Um, and she wants to secure an alliance with Louis' with Philip's son, Louis. Um and she goes to Castile. Her daughter Eleanor was the queen there. And she selects a bride for the Dauphin. And she chooses the younger daughter Blanche and travels back. And their escort. So what ends up happening is um, they're. She's quite old at this point, by any standard, not by med- med- you know medieval, but by any standard. And she goes to all the way to Castile. And of her two beautiful granddaughters, selects Blanche, who's the younger one. Brings her back and says, you're going to marry Louis. And of course, she ends up becoming Blanche. She's Blanche of Castile, who becomes the queen regent when her son, Louis IX, is king, but a, a minor. He becomes, of course, St. Louis. Um, mm. Louis, uh, yeah, the very famous king. Um, and she's extraordinarily influential. She travels back, and then, um, unfortunately, their escort... They were put upon by um, murderous thieves, and their escort was murdered. And it was quite shocking to Eleanor at this point. So she retires to Fontrevaux, which is an abbey um, that is like held within her family. Mm. She's unwell um, often at this point, and off and on, but you know, so on and so forth. Um, King John and King Philip start fighting again, and Eleanor backs John over her 15-year-old grandson Arthur, who's the posthumous son of Geoffrey. So Geoffrey and Constance of Brittany had a son. When he dies, she's pregnant. Mm. Um, He becomes Arthur. And by... So this is the tricky bit. And this is what John's fighting over. And Arthur's saying, no, I should be king because I am the son of an elder son of the king. By primogeniture standards, I should be king. But John usurps that authority. By some other standards, John himself should be king. So it's this massive fight. Arthur, Philip loves to stir up shit. Mm. Philip Augustus is a little piece of shit. And he's like, I want to fuck with England. And um, John, so he joins forces with Arthur. And then, um, but 
Eleanor actually backs John, which is really interesting because if you think about it, John was growing up in a time when his mother was imprisoned. His formative formative years were being were at his dad's side, and at right. this point, his dad hates his mom, so he's not raised with. They don't they don't have the easiest relationship, and most of her favorite children. All of her children are away from her. Her favorite ones have either died or are so far away married that they don't talk very frequently. So right. Eleanor's stuck with John, but she supports him over her son, her grandson, Arthur, which is really fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. Arthur learns of her whereabouts and besieges her at a castle at Mirabeau. John overcomes the besiegers and captures Arthur and his sister, Eleanor. Eleanor goes back to Fontrevaux and takes the veil. So this is all happening when Eleanor is late in her late 70s, early 80s. No. Yes. No. Yes. What? She was traveling up until a few years before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? So all of this is happening. She's so still such an important political figure that even in her old age, they besiege her in a castle. You got to respect over age at that That's, point. At that point, everyone's like, oh, shit. She's not someone to be fucked with. I I would have thought like especially in a in a time of religion like that people I, I mean I would have been like she's blessed like she is either that or she's a witch. There were two results for older women. Oh, people really thought she was a witch. No, but oh, because she's royalty, right? If you were poor and old, yes. you were either a witch or a saint. Pretty much, but mostly a witch. Mostly a witch. Because why would a poor person be a saint? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Um, They're not real people. Mm-mm. So, Jeez. at this point, her two children who are alive are King John. Mm. As in the King John from Robin Hood. Right. Let's not be mistaken, that piece of shit. Um, and her daughter, Eleanor of Castile. Right. Who are, Eleanor's like one of her faves too, obviously. Um, Namesake. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she had like a bunch of girls before. No, she had one daughter before then. Yeah, one daughter. Uh, well, two, but they were French, so it's fine. Um, so, in her, you know, Eleanor is still a formidable figure. And, of course, what happens to Arthur is that he ends up disappearing and somehow dying in captivity. In John's captivity. Wow. We, we think, can guess we what John murdered We him. can guess what happened. Wow. And it's hard. That's his nephew. Yeah, just eliminate the competition, though, like, right off. But that's just... medieval. That's what, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Not, not a thing. No, I know. Um, Strategic. But, yeah, so in 1204 at Fontrevo Abbey, Eleanor passes away at the age of 82. Mm. She has outlived all but two of her children. Wow. Her effigy shows her reading, which is one of my favorite things yeah, in you the would entire love that. world. Yeah, yeah, But not only that, because it's not just Maura loves to read. No, it's... In a time where most individuals are not literate. No, I know. That's incredible. And she is the queen and has been the queen of two of the most remarkable lands. Mm. She has been to the eastern frontiers and she has worn jewels beyond imagine. She has shown reading, which I think is so extraordinary. Mm. And it's it's something I, I'm going to see one day. Um, unfortunately, during uh, uprisings uh, in France her bones were scattered so we don't have them but um yeah so her legacy though is almost incalculable um i I, as you can tell from everyone's going on about queen victoria marrying her kids like nah this was the og this is the Mm -hmm. one who really set forth and pretty much ruled europe 
And even beyond that, because some of her kids end up, her grandkids end up marrying more Eastern people. And anyway, um, so it's a truly, you know, extraordinary thing. And, and legend and Eleanor go hand in hand as well. Um, but also she was said, you know, even in her old age, she was said to have been of an extraordinary beauty, which is not something people would normally say. So both William of Newburgh and Richard of Devise, Devise, sure, um, praised her beauty, like mm-hmm. into her old age. And again, she died at 82, which now we're like, great job. Mm. No, 82 in, she dies in 1204. Um you know, she establishes something known as the Angevin Empire, which was unfortunately dismantled by her dumb son, John Lackland. And he's literally called John Lackland because he lacks land. He couldn't get out of bed with his mistress. That hurts. I know. He couldn't get out of bed with his mistress to pay mistress to pay homage to King Philip for his French holdings, and so he lost them by default. <laughs> In her grave, Eleanor was like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> like you just you can feel the anger uh. troubadour bernarda ventador said she and i quote gracious lovely the embodiment of charm he extolled her quote lovely eyes and noble countenance end quote and declared that she was and i quote one hmm? one meet to crown the state of my king basically she was like wow one in the same with it so her legacy and Eleanor, you know, I think she is one of the most extraordinary people. I think I knew that somehow when I first read about her, I think. Um, and it's something that I feel like there's always more to say. And I now I'm, I realize why my notes are so frag- fragmented because I'm remembering things and want to tell people and say things. And there's so many more things to say about her and about everyone around her. I mean, she really was in such an extraordinary time and And this time in the Middle Ages, she's operating in the High Middle Ages, which are pretty much the end of the time in which women were extraordinary rulers. So it's really fascinating to see someone operating at that level. Um, And it gives me endless joy to talk about her. And I do talk about her all the fucking time. But I, I just think it's like, it, it, how is it true? But it is. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like so many things in her life that you're like, are you kidding me? The amount of times in general that she crossed the channel, that in and of itself was a life threatening thing. And she did it countless times while pregnant. Just, Yeah. yeah, it really doesn't seem real. But the best part and the part that I love so much is that it is. There's like the little guardian angel, like that's something, there's something, something going on there. And as I said in the first episode, you know, every priest said she was the devil and every troubadour said she was an angel. And it's just, where do you find the woman in that? Mm. You know, how do you find, she's somewhere there. She's somewhere in the middle. Um, And I think it's wonderful that she can be both. And I think she's this. God, she's more real to me than most people I know in my physical life, which is really a problem. But mm. um, I, I can't tell you, like, and it sounds so cheesy and I don't care, like, the number of times in my life where I feel scared by something or, and I literally go, I'm like, well, if she were in this situation, what would she do? Mm. How would she react? And it's been helpful because I think it's this, like, you know, 
what an example of an extraordinarily strong woman. Yeah. And yeah, it's I, I like have no words to describe her impact on my life, but also I just I think there's so much more to be gained by reading about her. So if anyone's actually interested, Alison Weir, who has become quite a famous um, biographer, she has a pretty good um, biography on Eleanor. Um, Amy Kelly has a good one too. Desmond Seward has a pretty good one. There's a lot of famous biographies on her and articles. Um, and I just, I think she's someone that can be endlessly explored and there's always more to know. Like there's, the more I delve into her grandkids, I'm like, shit, you know, yeah. like the more that I get into her great can- grandkids and like when she has Richard crowned King of England, she organizes the entire ceremony and she creates and molds a crown specifically for him. And the, the literal steps of that ceremony are for the most part still being used in the modern coronation of English monarchs today. Wow. That was started by her. Crazy. So it's just, it's like, it's this, and not enough people know about her. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. What are your thoughts on her? I mean, I, I say this every week, but it's like, it's, it's always exciting to like hear it through your excitement. <laughs> God. I know, because I, I knew, I knew she was your favorite and I knew that you liked her, but it's really cool to see why and see the things, the feats that she accomplished and the ways that she shocked everyone and you know, defied expectations mm. and all of that is super engaging. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> a positive review from oh, me. Goody. Five stars from Chloe. Are you interested in learning more about her? What does that mean? Like reading a book about yeah. her? See, I'm not the type to read a history book, which is how we got into this situation where you're teaching me all the history I've missed in my life. That's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Would I watch a documentary about her? Yes. That makes it sound like I don't like reading. I do like reading. I know you do. <laughs> Historical books For are... everyone out there who <laughs> thinks I don't like reading. Chloe is a... I no. love reading. Chloe does love to read. It's... <laughs> I I am... There's... It's... You need to find... I I personally feel like when I'm reading about history, it's a lot about I'm a, the yeah. historian's voice. I couldn't agree more. And if I don't like the historian's voice, it's going to frustrate me while yes. I'm reading it. Yes. So... I couldn't agree more. There are a few historians, I think, who write in an approachable way. Um, One of whom is Amanda Foreman. I mm-hmm. love her. Um, and a few, uh, Lucy Worsley is another favorite. Um, but, but yeah, there's quite a few, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm one of those people that doesn't care and loves it anyway, because I'm more fascinated by what they're saying versus how they're saying it. Yeah. But I truly do appreciate when they're saying it in a way that I'm like, oh, this is more fun to read versus like, I sometimes do feel like it's a chore because I want to know so much, but mm. it's still annoying to get to know so much. Absolutely. Um, I'm reading a book on the history of Nutella right now. Stop and, it. And, uh, I'm oh man that's, it, what, what it, that might be too specific for me to not to to say this without anyone being able to see which author I'm criticizing right now <laughs> if I don't say it that sentence didn't make sense whatever but I'm I it's <laughs> difficult to read just because the the way that it's written is is not fun <laughs> Like but it's you're powering such through. a fun topic. It's Nutella. It's the Ferrero it's, family, right? It is, and it's covering commercials and sure. marketing campaigns and things that I find fascinating. And the way that sure. it's written is just dry as a bone. How do you take a topic like that and make exactly. it so boring? Exactly. That takes so, that takes skill. Someone chose that. Exactly. And I, I don't that. want to openly criticize this author, I bet so I'm only not saying it. Yeah, I know, I know. One Who else wrote written. it? But like, you know. 
Do you know who's a that's a roadblock for me? A phenomenal historian who reads like whose biographies read like a novel, Robert K. Massey. If you ever are interested in Russian history, hey, we're gonna get into some of my favorite Russian people. Well, I love Russian literature. Um, Oh oh my god, Sam Tolstoy. Yeah, my favorite. I had an English teacher in high school who was really into instilling a love for Russian literature, and it worked on me at least. I read (laughs) Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment when I was in middle school. And I think that really cemented my position. Yeah, my as school had an unapproachable nerd. <laughs> overnight reading of Crime and Punishment, so you would have fit right in. We did these things called overnight readings, and like it was like a sleepover at school. Stop it! That's so cool. Yeah, and you would sign up for like ten minute blocks to read out loud. Stop it! I love just, reading out loud. And everybody just reads the book, and you I'm can either bitch. sit in the room or like use that as an excuse to like have a sleepover at school and go oh. outside. I would have thrived in that. It was fun. That sounds amazing. It was good. We didn't have that. (laughs) Anyway, Robert Massey, anyone? He's phenomenal. (laughs) Um, Allison Weir, though, honestly, she does a good job. Um, She was the first biography I ever read about Eleanor. Um, The first, like, actual text I read about Mm. Eleanor versus Mm -hmm. the, like, weird biography, uh, diary thing. Um, But I I have both. They're both right there. You can see them. My Allison Weir one's also falling apart. Do you see it? Yay. I do. The cover's cover's off. off. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so there's there's so much more to learn and know. And of course, as always, if you have any questions, y'all can find us. On all of the internets. All of them. Um, And I hope you guys enjoyed me just losing my mind over how much I love Eleanor of Aquitaine. We love a fangirl. I mean, I'm I'm her number one. <laughs> I love it. I feel like she's somewhere out there being like, yes. My mom swears my that I was her in a former life. That's I possible. don't believe in that, but thank you. Do you think she would be that excited about herself? Probably. I know for a fact she would be. Yeah, she would be. She'd be losing her shit over herself. She's like, oh, no one's done anything better? Great, I'm the best. <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. There's no proof to the contrary that you're not her. Logic. So. Okay. Who knows? You never know. We'll think about if that. If she's out there in the... I'd like to think that she's out there in the ether somewhere. And if she is, I hope she's, like, cool with my obsession. <laughs> I feel like she's into it. <laughs> she's not creeped out by it? No. Okay, cool. No, because this is before the internet era where, you know, you really could get a really bad obsession. You know, there's no Google Maps. You can't track her. This you is my very first you know? and forever obsession. So, yeah. It's all... It's all chill. Oh, good. I'm glad. Thanks. Another <laughs> unwarranted seal of approval from me. <laughs> Honestly, that's all I. That's all I need. All I want in life. Well, this has been another riveting episode of Historically Badass Broads, where we talked about the most badass historical broad of all time, in my personal opinion. Yeah, fitting. Um, a fitting episode. We're gonna be really good about publishing things. Look at how good we were this time. Oh my god, Chloe. You don't even know at what time we're doing this, but, but it, we but it was it. appropriately timed. Yay! <laughs> um, so yeah, again, I really do want questions if you guys have any. Um, so let us know. Let us know. We're on the social media. We are on the social medias. It's Indeed. true. It's true. And listen to Chloe's covers; they're amazing. Yeah, that's that's your homework for this week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Do your homework, kids. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.